You can't go swimming and not get wet. And I got wet. I got drenched, actually. He's <laughs> actually the highest paid person in boxing. Who? You are. Really? Goes, goes Canelo Alvarez, Coogan Cassidy. I know, Canelo Alvarez, AJ, Chisora, and then Coogan Cassidy. Yeah. spirit. I love it. Yeah. Let's go TBF. What do we have TBE before? You know, you know, we, 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 we TBF. Throwback fighters. Let that one ring bells, let it marinate. That's what we're coming with now. Throwback fighters, 2201, second to no one. Stay hungry. Fuck being humble. And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where if the virus has found enough time to become a better version of itself, so can you. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe Joshua said that. <laughs> but there's a ring of truth to it. As crazy as it is, there is a ring of truth to it. But let's, welcome back to another episode. Pro possibly not the last one of the year. So, you know, let's all give thanks for that. But definitely... Definitely one of the last three or four of the year, for sure. And I'd, I didn't really know where I wanted to touch on with this one because I could give detailed analysis of Parker versus Chisora, but just picking up on the mood of the public, no one was really interested in it, were they? But weirdly enough, the public is still interested in Derek Chisora. And I've been trying to wrap my head around what it is about Derek Chisora that makes him so compelling. Now, I stand by the statement I'm about to make because it's been true more often than it hasn't been true. Boxing fans will gravitate towards people who are fundamentally flawed. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that what we see them do in the boxing ring is so mind-bending that we need to see them humanized, right? Because if you really think about what, what heavyweights do, they take the same size head as everybody else and they let it get punched by a guy who weighs 50 to 70% more than the average man or woman in some cases. And they do this for three minutes with a minute rest 12 times at the top level. In the old days, they did it for 15. Yeah, that, that, that boggles the mind. So... The idea that you could be able to do that and be my best mate and be the guy that I'd let marry my daughter and be a guy that could get a degree and be a guy that could end up setting up a business being a millionaire, basically being someone with no flaws, we can't take that as human beings because we want to feel we've got at least one thing over you. So when we see boxers with their flaws and we see boxers fall off the edge a bit, Yes, we, we feign anger and, you know, shock and embarrassment. But we love it because we take relief in the fact that, ah, oh, at least I wouldn't do that. There's, there's, yeah, there's something they do wrong that I do right, right? And we love that. And when you look at the people who are held in highest affection, you see that. Like, wasn't that the premise of Raging Bull? Jake LaMotta loved by everyone, but he was a bit of a tyrant at home. Um, I was watching the documentary the other night about Macho Man Randy Savage, one of the most respected wrestlers of all time. Absolute nightmare of a husband, it would seem. And Derek fits squarely into this box, as does David Hay. They both fit squarely in this box of 
people we respect for what they do professionally. But a lot of people would struggle to have a beer with these guys. If you look at Derek, even before the professional boxing career, he was known in North London for hanging around with the wrong people, you know, assaulting police officers, carrying coshes or whatever it was he was doing back in the day. This is a matter of what well, was known in the boxing world. And it was boxing that kind of pulled that away from him. But you don't lose that. Because it's that energy that gets you in the ring. It's that energy that makes you a champion. It's that energy that won Derek the Novices and in the same year won him the ABAs. And you can look at all the instances after that. I, I remember within Zimbabwean circles, Derek was known for being a bit of a tyrant. Because once he started making decent money, a lot of Zimbabweans went to Derek and said, look, we need some financing for this tour. We think we'll make a profit. Do you want to be involved? And Derek kind of got too involved. So he was controlling who could have interviews and when. He wanted payment for interviews. And all of this stuff was happening. We don't talk about it now because a lot of people who watch boxing are kind of what I call the children of Eddie Hearn. So they weren't there in the dark days, in the days of leisure centers in Merthyr Tidville and Wigan and Oldham. They weren't there in those days. And that's, that's, that's fine. I'm neither here nor there on that. But the point I'm trying to make is Derek's always had that to him, right? Behind the scenes, he's always had that. Fights with Johnny Oliver when he turned pro. So he switched full-time to, to Don Charles. Fights with Don as well. All of this stuff is kind of what, you know, it shows us that you need to be a pretty complicated character to get into boxing. Now, Joshua's like Chisora Light in that sense, where there are all of these complexities to Joshua, but he seems a bit more level-headed with it. You know, let's not forget about 10 years ago where Derek had the issue with you know, his girlfriend being assaulted. And from what I hear just in the boxing world, that's not the only time that's happened. But then, why do we still love him? When you build up this rap sheet, uh, spitting water in Vladimir's face, kissing Carl Baker, slapping Vitaly Klitschko kicking off again. I mean, all of this stuff. So why do we still love him? Flipping the table over on Eddie Hearn and Adam Smith. Why do we still love him? We still love him because, much like Mike Tyson, he reminds us that, you know, some of, you know, we're human. And it reminds most of us who watch that it takes something extraordinary to step through those ropes. And you can't be wired properly to do that. You know, Derek's like a throwback to that era where guys just came in and put it all on the line and went off and did whatever. In the old days, it was debt collecting. You know, in Derek's case, you know, it might just be, I don't know, kicking off with a bouncer. But as you get older, all that stuff's a bit stupid. That's stuff that you do when you're young because there's something about struggle when you're young and you feel that it makes you a man. But once you get to the point where you're confident in your manhood, you do less of that. So if you look at Derek now, the way he draws controversy isn't necessarily through you know, kicking off and you know, being the tyrant. It's more now, you know, he's the underdog, pay me what I'm worth, I want my money. But we love that now. And he's hit that lovable rogue phase because the, the excesses have gone, much like Mike Tyson did, where Mike just became a lovable rogue, especially in the age of the internet. So when people say to me, ah, Derek should retire, and part of me thinks, if I'm looking at it from a purely in-ring perspective, yeah. 
But when you look at Derek, and Saturday was a, was a clear barometer of this, he's not washed up yet. And here's why I say that. The only thing Derek did wrong, I know people say his legs were all over the place, and, and I kind of believe that, but Derek's never had great balance anyway. I've heard stories that his right leg's not set properly. So actually, as a general statement, he wouldn't be the most balanced of people in motion anyway. And, you know, in, the, in his amateur days, he could be a bit wild like that. So that's nothing new. What worried me about watching Derek in the ring, and this is where you've got to match him carefully, is you could see that Derek knew where the openings were for Parker. He knew where the opportunities were, but he couldn't pull the trigger. And it's something that's really, really hard to explain because you're talking about maybe less than a tenth of a second, or maybe it's about a tenth of a second difference between when you're at your peak and when you're not. But that tenth of a second is all it takes for that opportunity to close. And you can see that Derek knew what he wanted to do and he'd shaped to do it, but by the time he shaped up to do it, it was gone. And the old Derek wouldn't have even thought about it. And that, that split second delay is what meant Parker could take the step back. And so Derek found it hard to get there, but Parker being younger, he saw a far clearer opponent. He saw that opponent in real time, maybe even saw Chisora in slow motion, whereas Derek's seeing everything fast forward. And that's what age does to you. There's no elixir of youth that's going to give that back to you. There's, there's, there's uh, unless you want to violate the WADA code, there's no stimulant that's going to make you that alert that you still see those opportunities. That was the hard part to watch in that Chisora fight. It was the realization that he couldn't, he couldn't see the openings and go for them like he used to. Joseph Parker against a 29-year-old Derek Chisora would have been in the fight of his life. Saturday night, it was just another routine fight for Joseph Parker. It was also the first time you saw Derek's punch resistance go. Not that he hasn't been dropped before, but he was getting dropped by glancing punches. You could see that Parker wasn't hitting him clean and wasn't hitting him flush, but it was still enough to put him down. And I'm not, I'm not about to believe Joseph Parker's a power puncher by any stretch of the imagination, if I'm being honest with you. What would also worry me from a Chisora perspective was Joseph Parker only really had a right uppercut. As a, as a difference-making punch, it was just that really basic step-back right uppercut. Like, there was no real boxing wisdom behind it. You know, it was, look, when you want to throw the punches, step back. When you just want to smother his work, step forward. They seem to be the only tactics. And so I was confused as to why there was so much Twitter activity talking about how great a trainer... Andy Lee is. I'm struggling to understand where the magic is. When you've got someone like Derek who can't balance, has seen better days, and you're in the ring with him, or from a training perspective, you're on the corner, you're watching this, and you can see that Derek's not taking the openings because it's all slowed down a little bit for him. How on earth do you can't get your fighters to take him out is beyond me. That is beyond me. Because that's what Joseph Parker needed to do. And, you know, we can say, wow, how much heart has Derek got, this, that, and the third. He should have been out of there in under four rounds. I don't think Hergovic would have let him last. 
I don't think Babbage would have let him last. I don't believe Joshua would have let him last. I don't think Wilder would have let him last. The only person I can imagine who would have let him last was Joseph Parker. Because Joseph's record to date indicates that he's, he's not a killer. He's not a killer. And that creates problems going forward because I said it before that this fight was for two men who were, whose careers were going nowhere. After this fight, these two men's careers are going nowhere. Eddie Hearn talks about, yeah, we want to put Joseph back in world title contention. Uh, you're only really going to get him to fight your guy, Joshua. And who wants to see that fight again? Not me. Joseph Parker didn't show enough in this fight for me to want to see him fight Joshua at any point ever. I'd rather see Derek fight Joshua because at least then there's kind of a, a backstory to it. Do I want to see Parker versus Fury? They're in the same camp. Like, no, I, I don't want to see that either. Would I want to see Parker versus Wilder? As long as Hearn's not involved yet. And I think that statement, there's a problem Joseph Parker has. Until he separates himself from Eddie Hearn, he's not going to get the push he needs. So if Hearn can't guarantee the Joshua fight, you may as well move on. Or maybe what Parker's doing is sitting there and seeing what Usyk does. Because if Usyk can beat Joshua again, the belt's out of Eddie Hearn's control. Now Eddie's got to start doing what he did before, pushing someone up the WBO, pushing someone up the IBF, pushing someone up the WBA, pushing someone up the WBC. Because all Hearn wants to do is get those belts back. Doesn't care about who has them. You know, these guys are just human pawns in this big game of chess. Is Parker the guy to do that? Does Parker beat Tony Yoka? I don't think so. Does Parker beat Joe Joyce? I don't think he's got the defense to do that. Does he beat Hergovic? Once again, he hasn't got the defense to do that. And that's what the Chisora fight showed. Parker is, he's too upright. He's too basic. It's too much effort to get him to be who he needs to be to fight these bigger guys. And I don't think he's savvy enough. And I don't think you can be coming from New Zealand because there aren't that many styles. There aren't that many heavyweights you can work with. And so I don't see, I don't see him really contending at world level again. I don't see Chisora contending at world level. But I do see Derek providing those sorts of entertaining fights consistently. So could you get Brian Jennings out for Chisora? Well, we've seen them sparse, so the answer to that would be it'd be a hell of a fight. Could you get... Who else could you dig out? Would you put Chisora in with Babbage? Maybe. Maybe that's what's needed. I, I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is neither guy's career is going anywhere. And the worrying thing is I don't even think Parker's 30, 31 yet, is he? He might still be in his 20s. And he's, he's wrapped up. He's done. Like We're not interested in him because he's had numerous opportunities to take people out and he's failed. And as a heavyweight, the biggest sin you can commit is not being able to take someone out. But look at that, the broadcast and all the stuff that kind of hangs off it. One of the things that surprised me was, and this is what happens when you try and sell a story, right? Because Tyson Fury's kind of lived off this, ah, oh, he's bringing the cronk back. Right, because he's with Sugar Hill, and you can see, you know, he's taking people out with the big shots now, with the big straight right hand, and now people are trying to draw those parallels with Lennox, with Vladimir, with Tommy Hearns, and now they're saying the Kronk thing's back, 
And they're trying to do the same with Joseph Parker because of the Andy Lee connection. And it's lazy broadcasting just because <sighs> Joseph Parker's not that sort of guy. Like to to be a cronk fighter, so you need you need pretty long arms for a start, right? Because it's all about that 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 freakish leverage. That's really what they they nail themselves on. You know, I know people to give me an example of Mike McCallum, but Mike McCallum wasn't a cronk fighter originally. He came there with his own style, and so he adapted and modified. So he was he was a cronk fighter, but not not the cronk style. The cronk style is generally long limbed, long levered people with proportionately short torsos and long limbs. Parker's not that. Parker's Parker's basically a shed on two legs, and so he'll always be basic. You know, when Andy Lee was talking about they drill repetition with the jab right uppercut, why? That's a that's a that's a man that's been boxing since he was a kid. If he can't do that now, then you know, when the hell is he supposed to do it? You know, the, the thing I did enjoy about that fight, being honest, was, <laughs> was the point, I can't remember what round it was, where the bell's gone, and all Chisora could say to Joseph Parker was, whoa! And like, <laughs> it all became like a bit of a pantomime. But that's why we love Derek. What's it, 12 losses? Derek Chisora has 12 losses and he can headline any show that he wants. If ever you wanted to believe that that O is important, Derek is proof that it's not because Derek delivers in almost every fight. The Cabal was a shocker. And there have been other shockers too that if you want to go back in the archives, you'll find them. What I respect about Derek is he's realized that all he has to do is come forward and swing punches and the fans will love him. He, the fans have never allowed him to, to fall that far down, you know. He's he's gone he's gone away, he's come back, he's had problems, he's come back. And I love that about the Chisora story because it tells you if you're an entertaining fighter, you'll always have a home on, on British TV. And entertaining is what he is. Now, all that buying burgers for the fighters and stuff, that's just that's just Eddie Hearn type clowning, isn't it? No, well, let's just make this your gimmick. And I keep trying to say it. There's stuff that boxing can learn from WWE. But I think that's more around, you know, commercializing your assets, you know, merchandising and that sort of stuff. But make-believe storylines and gimmicks, that's not why people watch boxing. And it's definitely not why youngsters will take to boxing. But no, overall, I do wonder how many people watch that fight on YouTube versus watching it on DAZN. I just don't think DAZN have the sort of subscribers you'd expect them to have. Because if they did you wouldn't have had 320,000 people watching the highlights on YouTube. Just like you wouldn't have had 270,000 people watching the highlights of Gilberto Ramirez on YouTube. So that tells me that people are happy to wake up the next day and just go, right, let me see the highlights. And that's a worrying model for the zone. So what I'm expecting to see at some point is the highlights being shortened to like two minutes max and then you'll be pointed to the DAZN app to go and see detailed highlights I don't think they'll give the stuff away for free anymore because free content in the hope of growth hasn't worked for DAZN so far <laughs> but overall I don't know um, I was underwhelmed by the card you know and I, I had to go back and watch it because I was tied up at the weekends so I've had to go back and see some of the fights I watched the Zulfa Barrett fight and I know no more about Zulfa than I did before I saw the Jack Cullen fight. 
and I thought that was pretty cruel to be honest with you I it's just cruel matchmaking isn't it and I said this on Porky show so if you can just jump on Porky Porky's corner go and see the video there's something I say on there and I say to be a good matchmaker you either need to have been an ex-fighter or you need to be a trainer because you have to understand the opponent through the eyes of the guy you're trying to match him with right so the first thing I'm looking at is do I think Jack Cullen's got the chin to take this guy's power? Mm, probably not. Do I think Jack Cullen's got the long boxing to keep this guy off? Mm, probably not. Do I think Jack Cullen's got the, the nous to keep this guy tied up and controlled? Uh, probably not. So why am I making this fight? What, just because that's the only guy that will take the fight? Poor matchmaking, poor management. And... That's just set Jack Cullen back God knows how long. Now he's got to rebuild and come up through the ranks and fight your Danny Dignams and your Denzel Bentleys and so on and so forth. He's going to have to do that. Maybe maybe Cullen versus Anthony Fowler is the fight that they'll look to do next. I don't know. What I do know is they they just treated the guy like cannon fodder. And that's, now we're hitting the point where I start to moan and say, these are the things that are wrong with boxing. If you're out in the media... And you're saying, well, we just wanted to get Jack Cullen out before Christmas, get him a bit of Christmas money. <laughs> you don't put him in a fight that sets him back for 2022. It's, it's, it's poor management, it's poor promotion, it's poor matchmaking. And the kid's got to now rebuild. Um, we'll come back to Zalfa Barrett. There's something about Zalfa where for the first two or three rounds, he looks world class. And if he can get you then, whoo. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you start to think about the guy being a world champion. And then as the fight goes on, that power starts to dip, the movement starts to slow, and he becomes hittable. And I don't see an evolution in that style. It's almost as if they're just like, well, we're going to keep doing this style and hope that we get the right opponents. There's, there's been no evolution. And I think I said the same thing about Lyndon Arthur. What they have is really good, but it depends on the opponent in front of them. The opponent either makes him look really good or really bad. I'd like to see those guys that come out of Collyhurst just have a few more strings to their bow. I'm a fan of this, by the way. I'm a big Pat Barrett fan. He talks, he talks well about boxing, and in what he's produced, he's produced good fighters. You, what you'd almost want to see is, you'd like to see the Lyndon Arthur style and the Zalfa Barrett style combine so, so both guys could do both. And I think then there'd be they'd be even more threatening. And then I contrast, I, I contrast Jack Cullen's travails with David, David Naika Nika. No idea how you say it. A kid who I talked about for a long time, actually, because I quite liked his style in the amateurs. He kept it loose and languid. And I think working with someone like Fury, that kind of ties in. Although, in making his opponent Carpin quit, I think it's Anthony Carpin. Yeah, I thought, I thought he did really well, actually. I'm not going to be overly critical of that because I liked what I saw. The only thing I'll say is, and maybe that's that. It's going to be the Andy Lee shtick, right? That that jab right uppercut thing that he's doing now, where people just kind of do it willy nilly, and that will just be something that you'll hear commentators say, "Well, Andy Lee taught him that." That's very cronkish. At some point, someone's going to eat a left hook over that. That's what I'll say. When the levels move up, someone's going to eat a left hook over that. But he looked really good. Um, 
would like to see a bit more power, so a bit more rotation in the shots, but punch selection was good. You know, you can see he was a class amateur, was he bronze medalist in the Olympics? Class. So I, I quite liked watching him. Um, the Alan Babbage stuff. <laughs> People are saying he's an accident waiting to happen. I don't think that's fair on Alan Babbage. I think Alan Babbage is... If I'm going to have an undercard fight, I want Alan Babbage on that. Much like Derek Chisora, you know what you're going to get with Alan Babbage. And it's on the opponent to find a way to deal with that. Babbage will keep doing what he does round after round until he runs out of steam. You know, on Saturday, woo, it, it, it came close to ending. Maybe if he'd had, maybe if the opponent had a bit more time, it would have ended. But I'll always watch him. But what do you do with him now? Like, there's going to come a point where you have to step Alan Babbage up. But you can't put him up the, the British route, obviously. So you have to look at the European route. So who do you put him in with? Ideally, you want him to be with someone of a similar size. I don't necessarily think you want, you know, one of those stick-and-move guys like a Hellenius yet, or even a Marius Wack, because that will that'll be a nightmare for Babbage. But I want to see him in with maybe like a Cabayel, um, or... Uh, who was the other guys? Is Senad Gashi? You're guys of that level, guys who who will who come and make life a bit awkward for him, but aren't too big that Babbage has to fight his way past the jab. But yeah, I'm a Babbage fan, and I've been a Babbage fan since JP told me, yeah, you know, how good he actually was and how he was fearless against anyone in that ring. And they're the things you want. I, I come back to the point I made before. We love boxers who have that edge to them. And we love them because we can humanize them. You know, they go from superhero to normal. And we actually love the fact that normal people can do extraordinary things. You know, that's, the, that's the essence, isn't it, of the everyday hero. But for me, the star of the night was and it was always going to be Sandy Ryan. I'm a big Sandy Ryan fan. Um, really, really hard woman, can really fight, skilled, strong, I mean, big, big at the weight and can really, really hit. Now, how fast do you rush her on? I don't know, but Sandy Ryan for me is part of that, that vanguard of career boxers, not people that came from football or rugby or athletics or, or people grifting and saying, I quit my PR job to come and do boxing. She's none of those. Died in the wall boxing. Her, um, Ellie Scottney, we're now seeing it with people like Hannah Robinson who are going to start to come through. Uh, Savannah Marshall, obviously, you've got to tip your hat off. All of these people who are just died in the wall boxers, Tasha Jonas, they're the ones we, we really need to get behind. Not, not these manufactured opponents, these shelf stackers. It's these guys, you know. They're not trying to be beauty queens. They're not trying to do this. They genuinely want respect for being tough fighting women. And I'm sold on Sandy Ryan. I think as long as she stays with those old school heads at One Nation, like Clifton Mitchell and, and the whole team there, she's in, she's in good hands. I'm almost surprised Fraser Clark didn't go to One Nation. You know, I don't think the, the move to Angel is a better move than Clifton Mitchell. It's just my opinion. I, I, I always think you want experience in your corner, especially when you're starting out. Like, once you're experienced and you know what you should be doing, someone like Angel's ideal because they can make the tweaks. But for that foundation, understanding the raw fitness, the raw intensity and toughness you need, I wouldn't be looking past Clifton Mitchell if I was in that kind of North Midlands area, being honest with you. 
So how do you summarize the match from show on Saturday? I, I think it's an average show. I'm not going to say it's below average because you had a lot of talent on the undercard. So guys that you're looking forward to seeing in 2022 and 2023. My issue is when you set yourself up as changing the game with all this game change hashtag and your, your fancy livery and these little graphics and, you know, videos and stuff, we expect a bit more than we're getting right now. Hearn can't move the needle. He's struggling to move the needle. And actually, if you look at all the metrics, Eddie Hearn content, like in terms of number of views, has been declining year on year, month on month. Because you suddenly realize that actually Hearn can't make anything happen. This is what people now realize. Hearn can't make anything happen. And his shows are reflective of that. Because everywhere else, the fights are happening. Just as an example, Virgil Ortiz Jr., Michael McKinson, that seems to be done. And meanwhile, Conor Ben's fighting the DAZN commentator. Like, who's he going to fight next? Sergio Mora? No idea, but it's pathetic. It's pathetic, considering all the noise Hearn made. That show in Manchester, in the old days, was a, was a Sky TV card. So why are you paying $7.99 for that? And this is how bad it is. Maya Jammer saw that this was a sinking ship and jumped. I repeat, jumped. They had, what's his name? The guy with the Addy, you know, green leather chair Addy, who, I, I can't be mad. Like, professionally, like, if you're going to grift, he grifted the right way. Grifted his way onto TalkSport, grifted his way onto Sky. You can't knock that. But as a, as a guy who, who has the ear of boxing fans, I don't think he does at all, nowhere near. You know what I mean? He's nowhere near. Like, you, you can't name a statement he made that's memorable. I guess that's perfect for Matchroom, right? You go on there, you're just bland, and it doesn't matter. But that's okay. That's the product they want to deliver. But Maya Jammer saw where this was heading and jumped off because you think about the circles Maya Jammer moves around in. And she says, yeah, I present it on DAZN. And people go, what the hell is that? There's no greater humiliation than you talking about something you do and people don't even know it exists. I feel sorry for her because she probably thought every fight night was going to be like a Joshua show and that the whole world would zoom in on her and that this would be do wonders for her. She realized I'm wasting my time with these jokers. And that's what they are. They're jokers. And it, it's like, it's just, it's all very cringeworthy, isn't it? You got Bell, you talking about Joseph Parker being the, the next great heavyweight and how Derek's the, the bravest man in the world, the modern-day Joe Frazier, all of this stuff, and you're like, oh, God, drop me out of this. You know, all the things we used to criticize Frank for, we got to criticize Matchroom for. It's an old boys club, guys who are slowly approaching middle age, and they've lost that edge and that humor and that, that character and that ability to be honest. And so they've catered to fans who, when these fans first started out, when Hearn first gathered these casual fans, they knew nothing about boxing. And what they did over time is they went and they figured out what this thing called boxing really is, and they did their research. And what they've started to realize over time is the reason things don't happen in boxing is because of Eddie Hearn. The reason boxing doesn't grow now is because of Eddie Hearn, like it was Frank 10 years ago. Now it's Eddie Hearn. He's the big blocker to this. Because everyone else is making money elsewhere. Money that Eddie said they wouldn't make. Eddie was telling people Tyson Fury is not worth 20 million. Oh, he is now. 
Now you're begging for that 45% split and you're not going to get it. How long is it till zone realise that they're better off backing Oscar? Let Eddie do all the kind of tier two nations where there's no money to be made. Let him do that and let Oscar do all the money-making stuff because he seems to have a better handle on how this boxing thing works than Eddie Hearn does. I genuinely think right now, if you're a matchroom fighter, your promoter's doing your career more harm than anyone else. Eddie's doing more harm to your career than a defeat right now if you're assigned to matchroom. Genuinely, good luck to you. I don't think it would be right for me not to to tap into my alleged hardcore roots. I don't believe I am a hardcore. But I watched the Baturbia versus Marcus Brown fight because, number one, I really like Artur Baturbiev. And number two, Marcus Brown fits that mold, doesn't he? Super talented guy, dark side outside the ring, right? So it's compelling. I'm sure Baturbiev, I think he's Dagestani. He probably has a, a dark side and some stories that we probably don't want to hear. But there was a fight at 175 between two guys who were genuinely world level, right? We know what we know what Marcus Brown did to Badu Jack. So that's a legit win. And we know what Baturbiev has done to everybody. Now, the first thing I want to say is Marcus Brown has a real problem with his head. And I think this is what happens when referees are lenient on things. No one's ever taken a point of Marcus Brown, I don't think. They haven't tried to disqualify him, nothing like that. But he's got three, three serious cuts on his record. And they're cuts in places that don't make sense. So Badu Jack's cut right in the middle of his forehead. Baturbiev's cut right in the middle of the forehead. So it's, it's not from a punch. Because it's, it's, almost, it's almost impossible to, to... It's almost impossible to cut there unless it's a forcible headbutt. Now, is it deliberate? I don't know. Marcus Brown's definitely reckless with the head. And this is what happens when you have weak referees. 100% what happens when you have weak referees. And for me, it's what always means that Marcus Brown isn't quite someone I can respect. On the other hand, Baturbiev definitely is because, was it better Beev? I don't know. I'll just call him Baturbiev. He does something that I really love where he denies you the oxygen of thought. In boxing, what you want is the oxygen of thought. You want some clarity. You want to know what's happening in the ring so you can use your tools to solve the problem. But Terbiev doesn't let you do that. You take two steps back, he takes two steps forward, and he's throwing as he moves. So you know that heavy leather's on its way towards you. And what that does round after round, it forces you to panic. In that same way that if you're, if you're underwater and you can't breathe, you just start to panic and your brain stops all rational thought and you resort to like, like the small brain. You become an animal in there. And you could see Marcus Brown was just breaking down mentally. And once those body shots started to go in, that was a good time to check out. And people talk about, oh, he quit. I just think he checked out. Lived to fight another day. There was nothing else he could do. There was nothing he was going to do against Baturbiev. He didn't have the power to keep him off. He didn't have the movement to offset him. He didn't have the work rate to worry Baturbiev. And this is what it always comes back down to. Whoever sets the pace of the fight normally wins. And Baturbiev was able to do that. He's a scary prospect. When people talk about Canelo fighting this guy, I'm like, for what? 
you had two close fights with Golovkin and this guy is like Golovkin but bigger, stronger and maybe a harder puncher pound for pound. What would you want to do that for? Even if you make him miss with 80% of his punches, those 20% will take your life away. Would you send Baturbiev up to Cruiserweight? Maybe. He's big enough to do it. But what a scary man. And you've got to tip your hat off to Callum Johnson for putting that man down. What happened after that, you know, we know. But he put him down. Doesn't seem easy to do. So massive kudos and respect to, to, the, to those guys for putting on a good fight and to Baturbiev for what's that now? 17 fights, 17 wins, 17 by way of knockout. <laughs> I think he needs to start thinking about unifying now. So looking at that Bivol fight, just looking at getting all those belts. I just, geez, do you wait for him to retire? Because I just think he takes years off your career if you fight him. So from a British perspective, would you want to see a Brit in with Baturbiev? Nah, nah. Maybe put Boatsy in there just for giggles, man. Just put him in there and see how he copes. Now on to the main event. And... I know this will upset the hardcores, but genuinely the the biggest fight in boxing this weekend was Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley too. How have we ended up here? No idea. Everyone in boxing fell asleep at the wheel. Jake Paul saw that, made the most of it. Saw what his brother did, saw what KSI did, and said, I can do this even better. And he has done. If you really think about this, I don't think Jake stopped training, sparring, learning for the last three and a half, four years. Right? Just let that sink in. So, in professional terms, call him a novice, yeah, I get it. But, go on a small hall show, there are guys who don't have the same experience that Jake Paul has. There are guys on the small hall scene that haven't had the quality of inputs being around elite level boxers. You're getting shortcuts to success here. And you're paying for that, admittedly, but you're getting the shortcuts to success. So when people say he doesn't deserve what he's getting, I don't understand that. He hasn't been out the gym for three and a half, four years. And a lot of the people criticizing him have. He's found a lane, and here's the point I keep making. He could do this without boxers on his card. He could do an all YouTubers, an all MMA versus MMA card. He could cut boxing out of this completely. That's a fact. He could do this without boxing. We know that because they did it without boxing before. But through this, Jake Paul's able to ensure that people like Amanda Serrano, Mil Miriam, Lorena, Gutierrez, whatever her name is, they all make good money. They get well taken care of. All of this stuff that matters in boxing. He's actively elevating the status of women's sport. Now, you know, is Amanda Serrano the poster girl for women's boxing? No, because her sister was convicted of drugs. Well, not convicted, but she was found to be taking banned substances or being involved in the, the use of them, right? So, does the apple fall far from the tree? No. Do I, do I suspect that she's probably taking stuff? I suspect, so I can't say it for a fact, but I would suspect that she does. So, not a poster girl for boxing, but Jake's helping elevate the sport. Right? So when we criticize this guy, we ignore the good that he does. Right? And he said, I'll fight a boxer. I'll fight Tommy Fury. And Tommy didn't show up. Now, was he sick? Maybe. 
did he break his rib? Maybe. I don't know. And I don't want to get into the back and forth of that. What I am saying is, it's not like he said I wouldn't fight a boxer. He would. But the thing is, people want him to fight someone like a Baturbiev or, or yeah, why don't you fight Canelo? And you're like, well, you're asking a guy that's been training for three or four years to fight a guy that's been boxing his whole life. What? Who? Who's that stupid? If you had Jake Paul right now as a manager, who would you match him with? You'd match him with a journeyman that could take him the distance. And you'd do that for 10 fights. So how dare people in boxing talk about, oh, he hasn't earned it. You know, the reason he's allowed to get away with this is for years. You've been putting talented boxers in with soup cans and telling us these are learning fights. When you were lying to us, they're not learning fights because they don't learn anything from their opponent. Take that. They don't learn anything from those 10 fights. They don't. And most people look bad in their first 10 fights because they end up fighting a guy that can't bring anything out of them. So they end up stumbling over their own feet. You wouldn't put Jake Paul in with a contender now. No one would. Not based on experience, but what people are saying is, why is he making so much money? I want him to lose. So I'm going to find someone who can actually defeat this guy. Yeah, why don't you go and fight, I don't know, Anthony Joshua? That shows Jake Paul's doing something right. And then the other nonsense that came out over the weekend was that the fight was fixed. And I just said, you're not paying me enough money to take the shot, that kind of shot that could end your life. The guy fell face first. That could have ended his life. If you were going to fix a fight, you could have just said, right, left hook to the liver, I'll just roll over and act like you broke my rib. There you go, job done. And then you can say, look, I break ribs. Tommy Fury doesn't want to work with me. If you're going to set it up, that is the storyline you would have pushed through. Jake Paul hit Tyrone Woodley with a hell of a punch. And we need to come back to this point. MMA fighters are not boxers. Their muscles are not tuned to that because they have to be good at so many different things. When you box, you're just good at delivering punches. That's it. Can you kick? I don't care. Can you grapple? I don't care. Tyrone Woodley could probably wrestle the life out of Jake Paul. He'd probably kick him, I mean, break his legs with kicks. He could probably do all of that stuff. But that all comes at the expense of being able to punch. Tyron Woodley can't punch. Ben Askren can't punch. Jorge Masvidal can't punch. Nate Diaz can't punch. Conor McGregor can't punch. MMA guys can't punch. Like I said in the other episode, Francis Ngannou would get knocked out by a middleweight. And I don't believe Francis Ngannou could knock out a middleweight. I just, I think boxing is so good at pre-selecting for chins and toughness because there's no other way. You throw punches, you take punches. It's not like, oh, well, I could just take him to the floor and tap him. No, 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 no. If you can't take punches, you can't be a boxer. And one of my, one of my hobby horses here, that's why you got to respect Amir Khan. How do you have a career like that with a chin like that? Don't know. He made miracles happen. That's why he's a British boxing great. But back to Paul versus Woodley. I'd rather watch Jake Paul fight Tyrone Woodley than watch Derek Chisora fight Joseph Parker. Fact. But I find it more compelling. It's more entertaining. It's just a better event. And I can see why Espinosa got involved with it. Because that Jake Paul operation is slick. He knows how to hit his marks. He knows how to get the right kind of attention. He knows what to do after the fight. He's a good businessman. 
And instead of learning from him, boxing just shuns him and acts like he doesn't exist. Okay, give it three or four years once he's done what he wants to do and he starts putting people over. You ain't going to be able to shut him out then. He's, he's almost, how do you describe him? Jake Paul is who Eddie Hearn wants to be. Jake can talk, he can sell a fight, but more importantly, he can fight. Now, like, to us civilians, Jake Paul can fight. To the elite, the creme de la creme, probably not. But to us, he can fight. He has, he, he's a multiple threat. And that's who Eddie wishes he was. But Jake's that man. And kudos to him. And long may that continue because until boxing gets his act together and presents a more compelling vision of the future, Jake Paul's winning. And I keep saying this, we need to go back to boxers having challenging fights every third fight. Every third fight should be a hard fight for whoever it is. You can have a couple where we kind of see you build, rebuild and build up, cool, but then you've got to have a hard fight. There's no point in having a 40-fight career we can only remember six of your fights. That means I've wasted my time for 40 of them, or 34 of them, sorry. I've wasted my time. And what this lockdown's taught us is time is precious. We have other things we can do with our time now. I might make sourdough bread. I don't have to watch boxing anymore. Ah, oh, man. Who would have thought Jake Paul would be a reminder of how depressing the world of boxing actually is? One thing I do want to say is we're coming to the end of the year and we're coming to the, to the festive period and it, it's been rough. Now, whatever your views on the vaccine, I don't know, man. Some people are yay, some people are nay, some people are like, do what you like, cool. Here's what, I, here's what I'll say. We're going into another rough Christmas. Some people will be shielding. Some people won't be able to see their parents. Some people have to self-isolate. Some people have to do this. Some people have to do that. It's, it's rough and it's tough. And it's been a brutal couple of years for us because most of our social habits have been broken. Most of the stuff we used to come in to rely on is done, right? You think back four or five years, this would be the month where you'd just be out a lot with your mates, catching up, reigniting those relationships, maybe going to watch the boxing together. You'd be doing a lot of things with your mates and your family and people who truly matter because that's what December was about. And this one's going to be a bit more atomized. We're going to have smaller gatherings. You know, we're not going to be able to mix like we did before. And all I can say in that is we all need to stay strong and help each other out here. Don't, don't spew the negativity towards people that don't have the vaccine. Like the unvaccinated are human beings too. You know, they pose no more of a risk than, than anybody else. And until someone shows me scientific data that contradicts that, then that's the view I will hold. And even then, do you trust the scientific data? I don't know anymore. I don't think any of us don't know, right? <laughs> I don't even think the people who are meant to be making the decisions know anymore. One minute, you got to isolate for 10 days, then you got to isolate for seven days because if it's 10 days, we ain't going to have enough doctors. All of this stuff is combining to darken the mood on a collective level and an individual level. So all I can say to you guys is stick through it, man. Keep being nice to each other because when this is all done and it will be done at some point, we're going we're gonna to be around each other again. We're going to need each other again. So it's probably good that we start being nice to each other. If this podcast helps give some light relief over the festive period, fantastic. I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful for 
everybody who has listened this year. I didn't think I'd be doing it a year. This time last year, I didn't think I'd be doing it now. But the growth, the wave of new listeners, the wave of just people who are just more interested and the interactions, like it's been like a five-fold increase in 12 months. So I've met a lot of new people, got to know a lot more people. Um, I'm just humbled. And I, all these guys, like, you know, there's the usual cast of characters, isn't it? You know, Danny Watley, I think he's retweeted everything I've done, man. I'm, that's crazy. Um, Riku, Andy P, Winnie, Martin, Andy, um, everyone, man. Skelts, Porks. He, he doesn't like me calling him Porks with an X, but I have to. Uh, the, the list goes on. Georgia, GDH Nutrition, um, everyone that shows me love, Bianca Campbell, and the list goes on, like, the guys in the background that, that watch and listen, and I'm grateful to everyone, my friends that listen, you know what I mean, I think people have now learned, there's no point in asking me about boxing if I do a fucking podcast, do you know what I mean, so, I'm grateful for that, I, I didn't think I'd be in the company of people at the Undefeated podcast. I didn't think I'd be ahead of guys like Matt Macklin in terms of this. I didn't think I'd be doing better numbers than Tris Dixon. I just didn't. Not as a podcast, no way. I didn't think I'd be catching up to guys like the BBC one. I just, I'm grateful for that. Do I think it can get bigger? No. I think where I'm at now is kind of where it will top out. Because the next level is getting admitted into the club. And the club, you know who's at the door. Coogan's at the door. If he doesn't let you in, you don't get in. They ain't going to let me in. The reason they ain't going to let me in, I do what I want. I do what I think is right. And I do it from a place of knowing what the right thing for the sport is. And that scares them because they can't control that. And they can't challenge it because they've tried. They've tried to find dirt on me. People in the sport... You know, I remember hearing that Danny Connor was out there looking for dirt on me. They were, they were offering fight tickets if you could, like, show some proof. Like, it couldn't just be rumors. You had to show proof of stuff that I've done that could be scandalous. People were offering fight tickets for this. But there's nothing there because I fly straight. I fly straight because that's what I was taught to do in the sport called boxing. The people who last are the ones who fly straight. You know, stole that from Scarface, but it's still true. So what I want to say in summary is thank you to everyone that's, that's backed me and supported me and shared this with their friends and said, you need to get on this. Everyone, man, I, I, I can't even remember all the names off the top of my head, so I'm not disrespecting you by not mentioning you. Let's do it all again next year. Let's do it bigger. Let's do it better. Because we're, I think we're about to be proved right about a lot of things. So let's stick at it. You guys have a great holiday season because I know some people don't celebrate Christmas. Have a great holiday season. Spend time with your loved ones and your friends. Yeah, Let them love you and you love them. And, you know, we'll catch you on the other side, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.